curious to know what kind of which 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 exact model of uh, Apollo are you using? I have the twin, um, one of the the dual ones that has the the two UAD uh, processors on it. I've always wanted to. I'm not too knowledgeable about them, but like I see them all the time. Like uh, my a lot of my favorite musicians and producers are. I see them using UA Apollo <clears throat> interfaces. I'm like, that looks cool, but I don't have them. I will never have the money for that. <laughs> They're fun. This is this is one of the older ones. I don't have like the new, new, fancy stuff that is coming out uh more recently but they're 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 fun i think the the coolest thing about them is just being able to get some of the processing off of your cpu and when you have a a big mix session or something like that being able to use the uad plugins on the uad hardware is definitely like a a good thing and a useful thing so yeah yeah i uh it took me um like forever to learn to like learn about how to record and like Wait, so you need an interface? What, what's that? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I know you need a microphone. What's an interface? And like, um, then I see trying to wrap my head around all the different ways you can like process the signals. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. Mixing is is like you apply these effects and stuff like compression, EQ and whatever on, 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 on a thing. It's like, you can also apply processing on the way in as a signal that gets recorded. I'm like, really? Right, yeah. There's so many layers to it that you can you can do whatever you want, anywhere you want. <laughs> That's what makes it an art but form, then of, I guess. Yeah. But then, of course, I see like, oh, the reason people are able to apply compression and EQ and, and such on the way in is because they have really expensive mic pre's that you go onto like a big-ass rack <laughs> of, of equipment. That, like, I will never understand what half of it does. <laughs> it could be. I mean, I use a lot of cheap stuff on the way in, too. Like, if it's just something, I don't know. I have a lot of gear that I've had for a long time that I just know really well at this point And, like, throw it on the way in. If you know you're going to do it later, it just makes it easier for yourself down the road. So, that's kind of yeah. my philosophy on it, is if you know you're <laughs> going to do it, just do it on the way in. <laughs> the closest um, I'm coming to that is... So the interface I'm using to talk to you right now is a Zoom USA two, mm-hmm. and um, before I had before I got this, I had uh, which uh, sitting on top of it right now is a Focusrite Scarlett two i two third gen. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I like it. It air button and stuff. But then I decided, like, I have the money at the moment. I'm gonna get one of these, a Zoom USA two, just so like you know, different interfaces probably behave differently. And so I'm like, okay, I'll get this. And I really like it so far because um, the so Focusrite has their own digital control panel for um, like Scarlet interfaces and stuff. Right. Which yeah. like you can, like you can uh, set like turn on like instrument out uh, turn make turn the input from like line to instrument, and then like also turn on the air and uh, phantom power through the control panel. Right. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's cool. But then, and also you can set the sample rate and stuff. And then I saw, when I started using the Zoom UAC2, I saw, for one, it has level readouts, which is really which is really useful, um, as opposed to like the Focusrite, which doesn't have any in the control panel, but it do, and the, clo- the closest thing it has to that is like just to, like the LED light around the gain knob that, yeah. that flashes red when you clip. I do like that thing, but, though. It looks pretty cool in that that little like ring of light around the knob flashes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the most useful meter in the world, but I like that. It is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And um and so the the zoom control panel has a level readouts, which is I I fucking love, which and it's really useful, especially when I'm doing these remote sessions and I really I want to be able to like get a good handle of what the levels are at. But also it has it include you can turn on a high pass filter at eighty hertz. Mm, that's super nice. useful for vocals, yeah. Yeah, especially if you're like if you're just like in a meeting and you don't want everyone to hear like me just uh, scrambling about adjusting my microphone, <laughs> right? Yeah, or whatever. The you AC <laughs> kicks on or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I normally turn on. Uh, there are time every I think a few times now I've like it just gets it's pretty hot in my room and so I put the AC on but then like I start podcasting someone I'm like oh wait a minute I should turn this off so I can hear you and it's, luckily I've had it off for now and I'm fine right now yeah I have to turn it off in my apartment it is like I have this little studio setup kind of thing like a little mixing area uh, in my apartment in a second bedroom and the AC in this room there's like it's it's central air in the apartment and there's this vent above the door to the room that is so i've never heard ac that is this loud and it was bad to the point where like when we moved in i like went to um uh what's the guy called the guy who like does maintenance and stuff in the building and i like asked them about it i was like is there any way we can like turn down the pressure in the apartment because it is so so loud i just like couldn't imagine doing any audio work in here so now i just have to like turn it off anytime we do anything which in the summer is sometimes problematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, uh, have you have the? When did you get your interface? I'm curious. Um, if you say it's old. Yeah. I've, when did I get it? I got it a, a few years ago, maybe three years ago or so. Um, I was kind of before that. I was using an RME interface that I kind of had set up as like a mobile rig. I was using that uh, going around. I was doing everything from like, I don't know, tracking people in their homes for like their EPs and stuff like that to doing like concert recordings Mm -hmm. in churches and stuff around the area. So I had that kind of set up in a rack um, that I was moving around and I loved that interface. It was good, but it was starting to get a little bit old. It was firewire. So I, I hit oh, a point where boy. I had to, <laughs> I had to update the computer, and then I had to update the interface. But I don't know. I usually like using gear until it's dead. <laughs> it did. <laughs> Run it into the ground, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, as like if you're an engineer or a technician of sorts, I think it's like, isn't it kind of like you have an obligation to stay up to date on things, you know? To a certain extent. I mean, I would say for myself, I currently, I'm primarily a mixing engineer as far as like what I'm being hired uh, by clients to do. Um, so so for me, it is very much staying up to date on DAWs. So I, I'm up to date on up to date on Pro Tools, on Logic, on Cubase, on, on really anything that a client might send me a session in. I try and stay up to date with that. Um, I mean, it's same thing with plugins. It's tough to stay up to date completely with plugins just because there's so much out there. But I'm trying to stay reasonably up to date on that as as much as I can afford. As far as the other stuff, though, uh, I don't really feel obligated 
for that, just because with my home setup and everything, I'm not really recording anybody or anything like that. So I don't, mm-hmm. I, I know I, like I'm a, I'm an engineer, so I like having nice stuff. I have some nice mic pre's and some nice compressors and stuff like that, but that's more for my own enjoyment than it is for really like trying to stay up and stay on top of, of that side of things. Uh, usually these days, if I'm tracking an artist, I'm going somewhere to and either renting out a studio space um mm-hmm. or uh, sometimes renting gear too if we're going to do something like a remote type of recording yeah so the reason i ask that is because like um now that i have actual gear and stuff and i'm like re- making recordings i'm and i i can call myself quote unquote an engineer because i'm the only person involved in my stuff and so that title has to go to someone. <laughs> and so I'm like, I, but also like um, before I got actually in the in the middle of me getting like interfaces, microphones, um, amplifiers and stuff, I also like built my own computer. Oh, nice. I'm actually, I'm looking to do that right now. Yeah, it's a, it's actually, it's, it's a, it's not that hard. It's actually not that hard. Once you like get an idea of like what all the parts do, how they relate to each other and stuff. Yeah. And I think, and now, like now that I have an understanding of like um, how, at least how digital recording works, it's I'm like it's 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 getting bad because I'm becoming a gearhead. Oh and, no! Uh, <laughs> and, and so, but also like it also means like it, you know when you're when you're someone who's like working in a technical field, it's like. It it kind of, it means you're it means you're a technician you're on the cutting edge, and I feel like that kind of means you have a certain obligation to stay up to date to get to be like keep keep not necessarily getting all the new things but like keeping up knowing what's going on you know what I mean Yeah, it, in audio to me it's kind of weird though because like there's so much there, there's so much in audio where where people are just in love with old gear like there's that vintage side of things too so yeah you're trying to keep up with the new stuff but you're also uh, people are just get married to like the old vintage classic gear also i don't know if i've gone through a lot of phases as far as the gear and all that stuff goes being super into it where i spend like all my free time reading about gear and stuff like that i've kind of switched <laughs> a little bit these days just because like it's so so much and at the same time, I the more I've the longer I've been doing this, the more I've come to realize that like it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. That's something that like in school we preach a lot that like just start with what you have and you can you can get really, really great results these days with basic, basic gear. And the more I'm doing this, the more I'm kind of like convincing myself of that, where I'm not just preaching that to students and stuff like that. I'm actually trying to to absorb that into my own way of working that like I don't need to I don't need to worry too, too much about the cutting edge stuff. I like to at least be aware of what's coming out, um, understand what the stuff like that and know how to use things. So if somebody requests something specific, which almost never happens, um, I would be able to use it, but yeah, it's kind of a weird thing for me. And I, and I go back, go back and forth all the time. If you ask me in a month, I might have a completely different perspective on that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean like, uh, it also, it begs the question of like, um, out like 
adjacent to recording, like if you're when being a musician, does gear matter? Like most people would say, no, that the tone is in the hands, man. You know, it's <laughs> it. But you know, there are times when you know you, you play a really you, scr- you strum through on a really expensive guitar. It's like it's hard not to sound bad on this. Yeah, there's <laughs> definitely there's definitely that for sure in in certain. In certain pieces, like that's that's the same thing in audio gear too. Like there are certain just magical pieces of gear that just do a thing that nothing else really does. Um, but I think the the weird thing and like the illusion of of that gear stuff uh, in in the industry is that that somehow means that it's good. You know that it does one thing that people are familiar with, um, and it does it really well. Nothing else can do that thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only good thing. Um, so I, I don't know. I try at least right now (laughs) where I'm trying to prevent myself from going too, too crazy. I try and separate that a little bit from something, doing something unique, um, and, and trying to be objective about, does that mean that it's actually good or is it just something that people are used to hearing, and that they're familiar with, and that's why we see it as good. So uh, there's a lot of things like, like you mentioned with uh, musician gear. If you think about it from guitars or guitar amps, like the reasons that we like the things that we like has a lot to just do with familiarity. Like you hear a record with a great song that you love, and it has that amp tone on it, and then you start equating that amp tone with good music. You know, it's kind of yeah. a, a weird, a weird <laughs> mix there. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is a reason why I got a, a Fender Blues Junior. Oh yeah, and it's because yes, it's because I hear other people playing Blues Juniors. I'm right? like, Classic. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and, and the, I find that really funny about like guitar amps too, because like I don't know any distorted tone. If anybody's like talking about how a distorted tone is like objectively good, like you just think back to like where the distor- where distortion in guitars became an acceptable aesthetic in music like it's it's one of those things where it's objectively wrong like it was something that guitar amp manufacturers originally were trying to avoid like you didn't want to distort and now it's like that's the sound (laughs) so it's it's always weird like wait you got an amp that doesn't distort (laughs) (laughs) right yeah now yeah now you get these like high gain amps that are intentionally designed to distort easily and in like quote-unquote pleasing ways so it's yeah that that stuff is always changing yeah and now is there such a thing as an as an amp that doesn't distort that's not like one meant for acoustic instruments or something that you can't get to just i mean there are amps that are like super super high head like super like the like the twin the fender twin that's one where you can like crank it and it's not going to like break up in the same way that I don't know, some other like high gain amp is, is where the, uh, you're just hitting the first, uh, tube stage is going to like break up super, super fast. So I don't know. There's, there's kind of a mix. It's all, it's all balance of, uh, the aesthetic that you're going for and how loud you want it to be. <laughs> like those are the two, <laughs> the two things. I know for the longest time I, um, I didn't, I didn't, I put off like wanting to pick up an electric guitar because I figured I'm not like a gearhead. I don't care about tone. I'm just like I spent most of my time learn trying to learn on acoustic guitar 
Just because, like, I want to get good at playing first bef- and maybe not even care about, like, tone or shit. But now, uh, the story is different because, like, there was, I remember it was a turning point where, like, I was just playing guitar with a friend and he's the one who had amps. And so, like, eventually I just, I accidentally hit, I, I would usually just, like, hey, what's the cleanest tone possible? And, but then, like, I accidentally hit, like, just the, um, the like an overdrive button. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm like, ooh, I have tone now. And <laughs> yeah. now it's like, it, now it's it's uh, it's getting bad. Like I'm obsessing over tone now. <laughs> I think it's also kind of funny. Like I've I've gone through kind of the same thing. There's a there's a weird thing when you're like learning an instrument or improving on an instrument. You you start out and it, it's just about like getting out getting out of uh, the notes, getting out the performance. And then all of a sudden it starts to feel like it's the gear getting in the way. Like you're, you're getting stuff under your fingers on guitar or whatever. And then it's like, you find something like that where there's an amp that all of a sudden makes you jump up and how good you sound. Like all of a sudden you get this new tone and you sound amazing. And then over time it almost like reverses and comes back where people become like these crazy, just insane guitar players. And then they can sound good on anything. They can sound good on like a, ten dollar little practice amp <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like um i think uh are you are you aware of like um bela fleck and the fleck tones and how uh a couple of members um victor wooten uh the bass player and mm-hmm. one of his brothers is in the band and how the wooten brothers like were they were all like a family band and shit you know you're aware, are you aware of that yeah apparently Okay, so, and the thing is, you have, like, between the two of them um, that are, I think, uh, that are in the Bale of Fleck and the Fleck Tones, Victor Wooten has, like, the most expensive bass on the planet, custom-made by a place for him. And then, like, there there are shows when his guitarist brother shows up with, like, a Squire Strat. (laughs) Yeah. And he absolutely rips it. And it's like, what the what what the hell is that? <laughs> I saw I saw Victor Wooten in uh, New York last year. I was uh, out at the uh, AES conference, Audio Engineering Society conference, and at one of like the after parties for API, like API put out a new console or something, and they had an after party, and he was playing there. And I remember like thinking about his bass while he was, he like flipped his bass over his shoulder, like guitarists do and stuff. And I was thinking about that, like his base, if that strap, that better be an expensive strap. Like if that strap goes, <laughs> oh my God, that would be insane. <laughs> so, I mean, like, so when I, like when I saw that clip of, um, I can't remember the name of the, the Wooten brother that plays guitar, but it was like him walking on with the shittiest <laughs> Squire Strat ever. And it's just like, but then he's playing like, like he does it's like no that does get better like he he's able to do it on it's those kinds of things that just yeah kind of mess with your mind and and make you make you reconsider everything (laughs) like yeah that that's i think that's say (laughs) people say like it really is the tone is in the fingers and stuff like that i mean there there's there's some truth to the gear and but there's a lot of truth to that too i think that it, it really comes down to playing and i think the same thing goes for for lots of things like um, engineering or uh, like cinema stuff. Like I- I'm sure there's parallels there too um, that where you can get great, great results with really cheap gear. I don't know. Is that, is there the same kind of, 
thing in cinema, I'm sure there is, with like, I don't know, vintage lenses and stuff like that, where it's like, I don't know, you can get some really cheap stuff and and make some really cool products out of it? Um, well, I'll tell you this. I'm not a cinematographer, or, I, or at least <laughs> I try to be, and then I'm bad at it. But I'll tell you, like, um, I bet I bet you, like, lots of cool-looking stuff, like, just from, like, independent little filmmakers and, like, who poster short films to YouTube. They're probably just working with DSLR cameras because right, that's yeah. what they can afford at the moment. But, like, um, I mean, I've made stuff, um, like, and literally the only camera I have is the one I'm using to talk to you, which is just a Canon um, Rebel T6i. And, you know, it, it looks fine. Um, it would probably look better <laughs> if I knew what I was doing. But um, I don't know. It's like, I'm, I know there's so many people, filmmakers nowadays, who are, like, really traditionalists who, like, swear mm. by shooting on celluloid. And I'm just, but then I think about, um, does that mean, would that mean they do, do they, do they want to go vintage with the sound too? Are they, are they recording sound analog? Which (laughs) I imagine imagine they're not. That doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. Who knows though? Like, I don't know. There's the same kind of thing in audio too. Like people, there are people who still only record to tape, even though it's ridiculously expensive. But yeah, I I would imagine that would be cost prohibitive. Even I'm, I don't know for for cellular yeah. like that that's probably i would imagine that's not cheap either so yeah probably not i mean like i guess i can understand the aesthetic behind shooting on film just because like for one that's like the tradition and like it takes actual skill to to, to be a cinematographer using film because you don't know what's <laughs> going to look like until the end but um, I understand that, and like the the grain, it's the I think most of the time it's the grain that they're looking for and whatever, and but at the same time, it's like I'm already having I'm having hard enough of a time trying to do digital, right? Yeah. So so like trying to learn how to do how to shoot stuff analog, like on film and and stuff. It's I I, I it's. You're gonna be editing it digitally anyway. What the hell, what is the matter? <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. Like at this point, yeah. You might you might be shooting it on film, but you're not gonna be editing it <laughs> analog, <laughs> snipping stuff up. I mean, I think some people still do it. Like um, uh, Michael Kahn, who was he was um, uh, Steven Spielberg's editor. Mm. He's been his editor since um seventy seven. And I think I'm pretty sure he still basically cuts on film and has mentioned like every once in a while working on Avid Media Composer, but like very rarely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I find, I, I don't know. I find all that kind of stuff really interesting. I don't really know anything about, about film or uh, about video <laughs> at all. Um, but yeah, I, f- I find that really interesting. That's something I've been trying to look more into um, just because that, also satisfies the of my brain (laughs) just learning about all that kind of stuff learning how all that stuff is made um and yeah seeing all the expensive cool toys yeah like um uh i see a lot of um i watch a lot of videos about filmmaking and like i saw this one from like vanity fair about the guys who like mixed a sound for that movie ford versus ferrari Mm. 
Mm. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it, no. It's uh, directed by James Mangold, and uh, it starred Matt Damon and Christian Bale, and it's about, like, the um the like the engineers the designers behind um the Ford GT6 or whatever that like competed at the at Le Mans the the racing the competition in France Italy yeah whatever that um and you know like they beat Ferrari mm. they Ford an American uh, automobile manufacturer beat the guy who made the Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and I see like these guys, the sound mixers, they have this entire big. This it looks like a damn warehouse with a huge cinema screen on one wall, so they can see the film and like um and project their their uh, like their computer screens and whatever. And this in huge mixing desk, like it's even bigger than like what. The, like the standard commercial re- recording studio. Oh yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is all that? What do you need <laughs> that for? <It's, laughs> Those consoles. Yeah. I've, I'm like that type of audio work before, but I, yeah, I've seen pictures and videos of that type of studio and like the consoles are absolutely insane. But if you think about like what they actually have to deal with, like, I don't know, in, in a recording session or whatever, we're dealing with stuff split up, like, kick snare overhead like there's there's only so much stuff going on but in in like film stuff you're you're talking about like you've got the music you've got all the same stuff but you've also got the dialogue you've got the foley you've got all like the ambient sort of like stuff that goes beyond way beyond what i'm uh familiar with uh being a, more of a, a music-driven studio person but yeah it's absolutely insane where you get these i don't know how many channels a lot of those things have they've got to be upwards of 150 a billion plus maybe maybe more than that like yeah they're absolutely insane yeah. looking oh my god imagine having to like be in charge of that pro tool <laughs> session you better be organized like, having to go on each each individual track and select the input for like 150 things that yeah for real I, don't, that, I mean that's got to be a huge part of the job or maybe that's like some assistant person's job just organizing sessions and stuff like that and just yeah doing that <laughs> clicking all right this is input one this is input two on up through input 400 and <laughs> somebody's full-time job just doing that yeah or like um um do do you, do you have any idea if like recording film scores is like each musician has a mic on their instrument or is it just like them in a concert hall put like three mics like on each end of a stage from where uh, they're conducting? Uh, oftentimes it's like a that. combination of both. So usually for something like that, you'll have a main – usually there will be a main pair – um, sometimes it'll be three, sometimes it'll be five, uh, like a deck tree or something like that. But you'll have like a couple main microphones that are, um, set back from the entire ensemble and they're kind of meant for overall capture, like capturing the, the sound of the entire ensemble in the space. Sometimes you'll have some extra like flank microphones if it's a really, really wide ensemble or something like that. But you almost definitely will have at least one spot microphone on every uh, every individual instrumentalist in the ensemble. Almost, I would say without exception, especially for film stuff, like you really, really do 
they really will need that control afterwards where if you if you need to turn up whatever violin number two in this scene, like you have to have the ability to do that. So yeah, especially for like bigger budget stuff. I mean, there are a lot of films that film scores that are are recorded at like Abbey Road where like track count and and uh, microphone choice is like no issue whatsoever. So um, yeah, I, I would say in most cases, if not all cases, yeah, you're going to have some some spot mics on individual players and a main set of microphones kind of as overall capture. Yeah, and um, I think... I think I heard you mention before in class that you like using Cubase. Cubase. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm a I'm a big fan of Cubase. And I like um, research when like when I was when I'm looking up like DAWs to use, I noticed that Cubase tends to be associated with with a lot of film score composers. Yeah, yeah, uh, Cubase and Nuendo. I don't know if Nuendo is still. I don't know if they're even still making Nuendo, but it, that used to be. Uh, yeah, a bit a big thing for for that type of work. Um, I'm not sure exactly why that's the case. I know Cubase and and Steinberg, the company, uh, is one of the older companies that that did uh, like a, a digital audio workstation um, in the kind of form that we're familiar with now, and that they were just kind of early to the game um, and were able to I don't know have higher track counts or something like that. I'm not exactly sure the history of that. Um, the thing that I love about Cubase is the uh, the editing features um, and the speed and workflow um, that that you can achieve in Cubase versus something like Pro Tools. So I, I imagine that that probably has something to do with why um, film film stuff has gravitated towards that as well. Yeah, like um, I I actually have like most of the mainstream digital audio workstations like um i have although granted i have all the free versions so it's like um pro tools first the free version of pro tools and cubase le which is the free version of cubase i also have ableton live light ableton live 10 light and uh like because i figured i'm gonna learn how to use all of these because that means that means i'm i'm gonna be versatile but right That's now, I have I, but, but like at the moment, I bare I barely touched them, and <laughs> like as someone who as like a filmmaker who, and who like edits video and regularly, you know the main thing to use is Premiere, right? Uh, Adobe yep. Premiere Pro, and I'm like I figured uh, it's you know it synchronizes with Adobe Audition whatever, and like I I'm gonna be I guess I'll be using it a lot in conjunction with Premiere. So I guess I'll learn Adobe Audition. And right now, that's the main thing I use for like, say, editing and mixing the podcast. And like, I even, I'm, I'm currently making a record and I'm, that's what I'm using to record and mix Adobe Audition. Nice, yeah. I use a, I use Audition um, occasionally for stuff um, when it has to do with like, like I, like I, I have uh, my own podcast and I usually master the... Um, plug. The what? Yeah, yeah. Plug for that. Plug, plug I won't, I won't podcast, it. Man. Oh, can't go find it. <laughs> uh, but I master the recordings for that in Audition just because I love the um, the level features, which I'm sure is a huge thing for film and, and stuff like that. And like broadcast, like they have all these standards that you have to go by as far as loudness, like LUFS levels and stuff like that. So that's what I use yeah. 
audition for is that it's super, super easy to do there. You can just drag a file into a match loudness <laughs> window and it just does it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't even have to think about it. Just you set what, what you want it to be and it just spits it out at the end. And I don't know why yeah. more DAWs don't do that, but that's, that's the easiest workflow that I've seen. So yeah, I can see yeah. that. I'm, it's a, it seems like a, a powerful, powerful DAW. I haven't gotten too much into it for like the actual production side of things like tracking or editing in there um, too, too much. Um, but but for you, especially like the integration with Premiere, that's got to be huge where you just pass things back and forth because you can in Premiere, I think you can just like, I don't know if it's like you right click on the audio or something and you can just like straight up open it out of Premiere into Audition, right? Yeah, that's what you can do that. Yeah, that's huge. Just being yeah, able to, you, not having to export and, things. <laughs> yeah, you even have the um, the option between like right click and it can say edit original. So you open up that exact file in audition or it can say edit clip in Adobe audition so that it replaces the clip you selected with a copy that then opens in audition so that you keep the original file too. See, that's huge. That's super, super nice. There's, I can see so many applications for that where you're not going to want to paint yourself into a corner with something, but yeah, that's super. I got to look more into audition. Um, that the problem is that if I'm if I'm doing that, that means I'm probably trying to, which means that I'm going to buy more things, <laughs> and I I shouldn't do that. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, in my I think I really want to learn how to like say use Pro Tools because that's what that's like the that's that's the main thing people are using to like produce music and stuff. But like, there's something about audition where I like the waveform view and I'm pretty sh- as far as I know, which I've used Pro Tools for like all of a minute. It is there is Pro Tools um, only a multi-track editor? Is I, that it? Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, where it were um like in audition you can kind of have like multiple things open that you can have switch between. Is that what you're talking about? Like you can't yeah. yeah, because in the because audition has the waveform editor where you're literally just looking at this that file and you can do destructive editing to it mm, yeah yeah pro tools the only way to you can do that sort of thing but it, it's not as elegant like you don't have the individual waveform uh like you're talking about you can do like uh audio suite uh use an audio suite plugin or something like that on a pro tools file but yeah it doesn't like separate it like that you're right it is kind of like always always multi-track all the time i don't know pro tools to me like it is the industry standard but it's kind of clunky. Like, <laughs> like it's one of those things that like, there are a lot of other DAWs out there that have really, really cool, useful features that Pro Tools just kind of like is always behind on. Like they never catch up. Like the, one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts in Pro Tools is their crossfade editor. So like if you're trying to like smooth over any edits it is just so painfully slow to do in Pro Tools where something like Cubase, it's like I zip through crazy how different it is. Yeah, and um, also the um, uh, there's something about how I remember when I first started, started trying to use Pro Tools, I thought it was just an audio editor, like say Audition. Like you can open Audition and like not have anything connected to it. Just be like, I want to look at an audio file and all I have to play through is like the shitty computer speakers that are connected to the line out. But I'm like, I was, 
I was trying. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna learn pro. I'm gonna get Pro Tools first, and I'm gonna learn how to use Pro Tools. And then I try to open. It's it like you need an audio interface. And at the at the time, I'm like, I don't know what an interface is. Right. <laughs> yeah, the barrier for entry for all that kind of stuff is, is is pretty high. Like I don't know. That's that's one of the things that I mean. I you don't need you don't need a an interface to record in Pro Tools anymore. It used to be that you had to have some sort of hardware. I don't know if it, if this is the case for first. Uh, I haven't used first. Um, but it used to be that like you had to have some sort of Pro Tools hardware. Like I remember when I was first starting on Pro Tools, you needed to have like an Mbox or something like that. There was actual like Pro Tools. It was DigiDesign before it was Avid <laughs> back in the day where you yeah. had to buy this box, the, the interface to use, and you could only use stuff that was specifically designed for Pro Tools. And now now it's a little bit easier. You can get any interface you want pretty much uh, to use. And you can you can run it off like the core audio of, uh, if you're on a Mac, like the core audio on your, your computer. Um, for PC, I, I don't know, it might, be, it might be weirder, but I would assume you could do the same thing. Just use the, um, the, the audio uh, built into the computer. Like if you go in Pro Tools, you can't like, select a, a built-in output or something like that on yours? Um, <clears throat> I don't think so, unless I were to download the driver, the ASIO uh, for driver. all driver thing. For sure, yeah. Yeah, that is a thing. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and so for the longest time, I kept like trying to open Pro Tools. I'm like, something, something, you need equipment. I'm like, I don't know what that <laughs> means. I thought, I've, it's just... How like how hard is it to use Pro Tools? Is <laughs> yeah, it's it's clunky. They're they're always playing catch up, but I still love them. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I I also see like them moving into like the um the subscription based service for for the applications. I'm like, I don't know. Do I want to do that? <laughs> I'm already. Adobe's already is already bleeding me for yeah, money. Yeah, that, that's everybody's going to that now, and like I get it, and it's cool because it keeps that. I, we were talking about like being up to date before. Like that's to me, that's the best way to be up to date because you don't have you can turn your brain off and stuff just like updates for you, and you're always working on the newest version of whatever it is. And if there's a bug, like it just automatically gets fixed. So that part of all the subscription based stuff is really cool. But it's yeah, you're right. It is just like a money sink at the end of the day. Cause you don't feel like you're spending money. <laughs> yeah. You like sign up for the subscription and it doesn't feel like you're buying anything. And then if you're checking your actual like statement every month, you're seeing that. Yeah. They're absolutely like just bleeding you dry <laughs> for, for all this. I, I have a ton of stuff like that, like plugin subscriptions, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I have like the Adobe. Wait, you have to subscribe to plugins. All the ones I've seen are just like you buy them. Uh, there are a lot that you can buy, but there are also plug-in bundles um, that you can do a subscription to. So it, it it makes it so like for example, there's Plugin Alliance, which that's one plugin bundle that I've I'm a really big fan of. They've got a lot of really really cool stuff um, in there, um, but it's it's. I forget how many plugins it is. It's probably like hundred something plugins. So rather than buying all of the plugins, you can just do a subscription for it. So it ends up being cheaper for, I don't know, like 10 years of plugin use or something like that, which is pretty decent. Like that's, that's definitely a savings versus like just buying everything outright. 
but it's still like, it doesn't feel like you're spending money. So it's so easy to sign up for those things <laughs> and then just have it draining money out of your account yeah. every every month. And then I see like, like I would be l- looking at pro tools and like which editions to buy. I'm like, okay. I mean, they have education pricing and it's like $300 for just the standard pro tools. I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, but then I don't know, at some point, maybe I would want to get pro tools ultimate. It's like, no, you, there's no perpetual license. It's it's all yep. subscription. Even like the the it's entirely possible that they didn't even have an education pricing for Pro Tools Ultimate, and I and like I didn't it just couldn't find it. I I don't think I don't think they did for Ultimate. I think they might have had they had I know they had a special pricing like during COVID, but like I don't I think you're right. I think they are, there wasn't an educational pricing for Ultimate, which is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't know. Uh, I've been wanting to get Pro Tool, like the perpetual license for Pro Tools. Um, in, but then, of course, it's just even though I have, I can ed- qualify the education pricing, but still, like three hundred. Do I want? Is Pro Tools worth three hundred dollars? Uh, I don't know. In, like a year of updates. Doing, I guess. If you're using it every day, then I would say yeah, for sure. But if I don't know, if it's one of those things that you're using every once in a while. There are plenty of great DAWs out there that are cheaper. And there's stuff out there that's like basically free, like Reaper. Like I think it's oh, yeah. like Reaper's like 60 bucks or like if you don't want to pay that, there you kind of don't have to. <laughs> it's like one of those sorts of deals. Like pay it's the WinRAR of DAWs. Is that what it <laughs> yeah. is? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. It's, 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 you, it's basically free. And man, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like I haven't, I haven't gotten too, too into it just because like, I don't know when people set, send me sessions to mix, I don't think anybody's ever sent me a Reaper session before, but like the, a lot of the things that I love about Cubase, actually Reaper has too, and it's free ish. So I don't know. I, <laughs> for me, if I was recommending somebody, something to somebody where it's not going to be something you're going to use like every day, I'd say check out Reaper. Cause like, it's, it's definitely cool. And that's, I mean, nobody can argue that that's not worth it. If you're going to do any audio work, free or $60 for a perpetual license in that case. Like you're not shelling out six bucks every month. It's just a one-time thing. Yeah. And I I don't know. That sounds like something I might be into. But then there's the um, like that discomfort and like, oh, I have to learn a whole new thing now. I'm so used to audition and whatever. Yep. (laughs) Huge. That's a huge barrier for me too. That's when I, when I started doing a lot of mixing and I, I made, I made a, a decision at one point that it wasn't worth like chasing down clients anymore and asking them for like to print down all their audio files and trying to explain how to do that and exactly what I needed that th- there was a point where I was just like, okay, screw it. Like I just, I just need to buy everything. And then no matter what anybody sends me, I'll at least be able to open it and do it myself. <laughs> But yeah, that that is definitely a huge pain because everything is like so similar. They all do exactly the same thing at the end of the day. Like they're pretty much the same, but they all use different key commands to do it or the menus are structured differently or I don't know, the 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 way they handle routing is is different. So it's yeah, it's one of those things. It's just like a pain and it's confusing. Yeah. Remember the first time I opened up Ableton? That's a whole other, and <laughs> whole other thing. And yeah, it's it was like I'm like I was just trying to like make see if like my MIDI device would be recognized. 
And I'm just look like, what the hell? Where is where is where the hell is anything? <laughs> this doesn't even look like a multi track. Right? Session. Where's the timeline? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you you skipped out. I don't think I heard the last thing you said. Oh, I I think we had a, a glitch out for a second, but we're back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that thing? You, I, I didn't I was saying, hear well, Where's said. the timeline in Ableton? Like you open it up and it doesn't even look like a DAW. Like it looks like a no, it I, doesn't. I don't even know what it looks like. It looks like a bunch of menus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I I remember a time when like I was telling a friend of mine who was um trying to get into recording. He's like, like I use Audition. He's like, oh, is it timeline based? Yeah. I'm like, aren't all of them timeline based? How do you how do you have a DAW that's not timeline based? <laughs> that's them like yeah, some weird existential <laughs> thing. Like like what what is. What is time, really? You know, <laughs> when you're working, with- <laughs> like reading a score, and it has no access for time. <laughs> I mean, that's basically that's kind of what Ableton is, though. Like, it it really doesn't. I mean, it's. I guess you'd say it's loop based. I guess. Okay. I don't know. It's weird. That's one that I haven't messed a ton with. Um, but. Yeah. So it's fruitier loops. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fruity loops. Yeah. But fruitier. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's um, I think um, now that um, all pretty much all recording is digital. Um, I feel like uh, engineers have to. It's pretty much a requirement that they're that they have to be like computer savvy. No. Yeah. Pretty much. I, if I'm like 100% honest, I am not the most computer savvy. <laughs> so to a certain extent, I would say yes. There are also a lot of engineers out there, though, I would say who really have no clue on the computer side of it. But but in those kinds of cases, like if you're talking about like big mix engineers and stuff like that, like they're going to have assistance or like engineers working for them that handle that type of stuff where all they have to worry about is like the the settings on the gear and the routing in the console and pushing fares and getting like a nice balance and stuff like that. So there's, yeah, I think there's different mm-hmm. levels of that. That's, I, I would say that's something that I kind of struggle with is the computer side of it. And part of the reason that I've been worried about building my own PC, even though I've been wanting to kind of dip my toe into that side of things for a little while, that's, that's scary to me because I don't know if I would really be able to troubleshoot something if if it went totally wrong <laughs> oh I, I can help you yeah. well that's good <laughs> that's what that's what i would so, need i would need a a guide through the process <laughs> yeah because like um i i i would consider myself like a power user some for the longest time i was a power I, like i knew more than the average bear but i like if you ask me anything about how to actually fix a problem with your computer it's like I, but now that I like have built my own thing and I'm using it regularly, I know how like at least how some of it works. I can probably, I can I can probably fix like simple things, and also and it's also um, helped me in understanding how to like connect devices and like stuff like interfaces and like um, connecting those to like monitors and stuff and. <clears throat> To the point now that, like, 
10, like five to 10 years ago, I, I would have looked at my setup, my current setup, be like, why do you need all those things? Why do you need all the wires connecting this to that? It just hit. But me, now, yeah. <laughs> but now, like, it, my current understanding is very linear. It's just like, yeah, because that has to connect to this, and then this has to connect to that for it to work. Right, and so, yeah. and it's, it's also made me think about how, um, like, most recording studios you see nowadays, but 98, what, per, 90, what, eight, 98% of them have um, Macs in them as, as the, as the, uh, the, the, the computers in, that the, uh, the system runs on. And I'm sitting over here think, going like, I don't know, I'm using a PC. Is that bad? I don't, <laughs> I've, that, that's the weird thing about um, all of that. It's because like, this, this is one of the things that's made me want to, go towards the PC end of things. Cause like, as far as like power for price, like it's, it all, it seems like at least there's no question PC is better. Like, I don't know if you would, if you would agree with that or not, but like from what I've seen, it seems well, like biased, for the price, what'd you say? I'm I'm biased, but yeah, I think PC is better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but like, it seems like as far as price, especially right now with like the new Mac pro and stuff like that being like entry level six grand, like you can get a, you can get a PC for less than half the price that I, I feel that's equal in power and, uh, just as capable, especially for, I don't know, for audio, maybe that's even, even more so than for like video stuff. If you're editing, like 8k video or whatever i that then that's beyond <laughs> what i could really say um what was good for but i don't know for me it just seems it seems like every time mac every time they put out a new mac i i go a little bit further towards <laughs> hitting the the buy button on a like pc parts and stuff like that yeah because like um I, i've used macs like so for for like a considerable amount of time, but like ninety five percent of my life has been on using uh, PCs, mm. and so I mean I understand the appeals of Mac. I, sh- I guess you could say, and um, I mean I like some Apple products. Uh, like I'm, I'm for I've been using an iPhone for the longest time, and I like how that how it feels how it works right but then i look at like macs and their mac os i'm thinking like how does anyone find anything it's yeah. it's all like not intuitive well i feel like apple, even though it's supposed to be intuitive i guess it's i suppose it's intuitive for like the layman the people who are not exactly. techies yeah it, that, i think that's really what it's all it's all about even their pro machines like they're all laid out in a way that's meant for the average consumer to be able to kind of navigate around and, you know, like keep your photos in like a photo album and like, like, I don't know, just kind of basic stuff, but yeah, they never really like went the next step for like the pro, the pro level machines. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those kind of tricky, tricky areas for me for, it used to be. So the reason that I started out on a Mac is that it used to be that pro tools ran way, way better on macOS. That used to be the case. That is, from what I've read at least, no longer the case. It's kind of a wash. So I don't know. Now maybe it doesn't really matter at all. And I don't know. I think a lot of I think a lot of studio people are jumping chip on the Apple computers at the moment just because of price. Because every every time something new comes out, sure like the specs look pretty crazy and pretty cool. 
Um, but then it's like, how many organs do I have to sell to buy this? Exactly. Yeah. Like, so you've got to you've got to sell your console. You got to move out of your studio space, and you got to rent a shed or something like that in order to get a computer. Like, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. Like, there's no way I'm buying a Mac Pro. I I can't buy a Mac Pro. So then I have to look into alternatives. And the more I look into alternatives, the more it seems like it really isn't is it, it isn't going to be worse. If anything, it's going to be better. I think. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, the year update with Kobe, uh, where he's he's cursing Windows, and I don't know. <laughs> that, that's a possibility, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like uh, I've had the thought of getting a Mac literally just to run Logic. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Or not run Logic, but learn how to use Logic or something like that. You know what? You bring up a good point that I hadn't ever thought of is that I do get a lot of people sending me mix mixes that are Logic sessions. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> just threw a wrench in my whole plan. Oh, man. Another layer of complexity. <laughs> keep Just keep a Mac. Yeah. Like just a laptop. <laughs> So that you can do the logic session. That's true. I'll, I'll I'll just keep I'll keep something cheap. Well, nothing super cheap for Mac, but yeah. something going just so I can open the session, export some files, and that should be enough. I don't have to do any heavy lifting on it. So, okay, good. <laughs> just, we're, we're back. You scared me for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, I would say I, I encourage people to get into like if they're Mac users, to try to switch to using PCs because uh, there's something about how, like, the Windows operating system is laid out that just makes more sense to me um, because everyone I know who, like, is a Mac user, I don't... It may just be just because they're laymen, but it's like, I'm pretty sure... Sh- if I tell, if I ask them, like, where something is, it's like, where... What? Th- this file... <laughs> um, file <laughs> <laughs> that's so true though like i don't like i even feel that way sometimes like and it's so easy to to have to save something in a location and not be able to find it on a mac like there's no intuitive place where you have to like go you can go to look for something on yeah. a mac so i don't know hmm. i've done i in one of the studios I worked at um, back uh, a few years ago, like five or so years ago, they were all PC based and they were, they were Cubase based as well. So um, that was a little bit different. Also, that's kind of where I got into Cubase too. And that, that was one of the things that I really missed kind of coming back to the Mac world is just being able to organize files in a logical way. (laughs) Yeah. Because um, I bet you, if you asked, like the average Mac user, what a file path is. <laughs> True. Be like, yeah. Files can have paths. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, they, I guess it, it does, they do show you the file path on the Mac, uh, like in the, in Finder and stuff. Like you can see a file path, I guess, but sort of. yeah, the, the concept is not, I don't know. Yeah. I think you're totally right. Yeah. And, um, the, uh, but also I feel like, um, because Macs are kind of like designed for the layman, it's it's basically for people who don't quite understand how computers work and they're therefore not able to, say, exploit them to their 
to their fullest potential. Yeah. I you mean, that's I mean? part of, I would say that's part of the reason that, <laughs> that I was drawn to Max in the first place. That kind of sounds like it describes me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> cause, cause like it's, you know, it, they're all kind of pre-built and like even the desktop ones are just like all the, all the machinery is in, in the monitor. Yep. And so it's like, just, Hey, here's the thing. That's what, it, that's what a computer looks like. And you know, um, half the people who like are buying Mac computers don't probably don't care about the specs. It's like, just get me one. I just need one to work on. And, you know, um, I, you know, I feel like with PCs, you're getting, um, I would call a more intuitive interface and operating system. And, and also you can custom, it's way more customizable and it's way cheaper for the parts. You know, you can, you can like make it into a goddamn art project where you want it to <laughs> all the lights to be green, all the uh, all the parts have uh, LED lights and it's all green and whatever the hell. And you know, like I can tell you right now, like all the parts I have in my PC and the reason I I I wanted to have them, like I put in sixty four gigabytes of RAM and uh, a CPU, a AMD CPU that has six cores and twelve threads and like I just wanted a graphics card that had that it has eight gig. It's the memory is eight gigabytes, but like I'm not. You see, and the thing is, most people who build PCs are gamers. Mm. Is more, and if you look at any any parts that are on sale, like motherboards and stuff, they're all gaming for gaming. I dash gaming. That's one of the gaming intimidating things to me is that that's that's yeah. all anybody talks about. Yeah, is gaming. Yeah. Yeah, but then it's like, well, I'm not a gamer, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> so I'm like, just give me like the good parts that are good enough that like not necessarily for like the top most top end gaming uh, person. And like, I just want the things that are that have the, that have like the ports I want, and like they will run fine, and that like it will not like choke on me just editing a video. Right. Yeah. For me, like for. I feel like there's almost no info out there from a purely audio standpoint. Like, I don't know for, for audio, for running pro tools or whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I am completely ignorant when it comes to like number of cores, threads and stuff like that. But I, I'm from what I do know, I'm pretty sure that you don't need like tons and tons, like tons and tons of threads for running pro tools maybe I'm 100% wrong on that. That's absolutely possible. But like everything out there is is from game the gaming standpoint or rendering like high res video. Like that's the other thing that I see get talked about a lot is being able to handle, oh, this can handle 6K video and this can handle 8K video or whatever. Or you're not going to have any issues with 4K video, anything you could throw at it. And it's like, that's great. But for like, for me, like doing audio stuff, that that means nothing to me. <laughs> it's not gonna it's not gonna help me in any way. So I don't know. That's the that's been the tricky thing for trying to figure out what I want to do for a computer. I think um, I'll tell you this, Kobe. The um the I think the main things that would matter for you in terms of uh, like doing audio work is um, the CPU right. and the RAM. Yeah. If you have more processing power. More cores, more threads. That means it'll it can handle more tasks and do it more efficiently. So, and for like handling big ass uh, wave file, uncompressed audio files, uh, wave files and stuff, like and like 
uh, in a whole, like say, Pro Tools session. It's um, when where it's where it's um, you know, during the uh, the non-linear, the non-destructive um, application of effects before like you export it. Right. It's um, that that that's what you want to be on the lookout for. Um, good CPU and like, yeah, there's never too much RAM. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of the sense that I've gotten. I don't, I don't, I don't know. From what I've read, yeah, it's it's pretty much all about the CPU for uh, for the the audio stuff. So I don't know. It's one of those things I'm still learning. Um, very recently began <laughs> trying to learn about too. Uh, within like the last, literally the last few days is when I've started like doing this. So. When I say, like, I don't know what I'm talking about, I really don't know what I'm talking about at all. So. <laughs> that was that was me, like, um, a few months ago. Like, I think is I was researching how to build a computer for, like, a year, mm. right? And, like, I and I, I felt like I was comfortable. In fact, I, I, I was comfortable. But, like, then I still ran into problems. Like, um, when I was building my computer, I wanted to, to use the case that my previous system was in so I didn't have to spend money on a case. Mm. But then I'm like trying to, but it turns out that particular case was like the smallest it ever was, <laughs> but still we called micro ATX. Mm. And then like, I literally couldn't fit my hand to like plug things in like to the point where like there are power connectors I think they're in. I tried my best, but then I tried to turn it on. It's like nothing. You're just like, I'm like yep, I can't, I can't do it. You can't see to, to try and plug nope. stuff in. <laughs> see, that's my fear. And that's, a, that's, ex- I know for a fact that, that when I build a computer, something like that will happen because there's going to be something that I just, I don't think about your first computer build. I guess that's kind of bound to happen. So we'll, we'll see. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun adventure. I'm at, I, I like that kind of stuff. I like learning about, I don't know, technical things and trying to figure that out. And I've always felt like I needed to know more about computers and like the how computers work and do what they're supposed to do. So as an engineer, it's probably something that I, I should know more of. So it's going to be it's going to be a fun process. Yeah, I think um, uh, perhaps because I don't know too many engine like audio engineers, but I feel like um, at least some of them got to have like they're savvy enough to be on a computer to like work a pro tool session but i feel like um they got to they have to at least have like a curiosity about how computers work because they're using them so much but also i think that's how the the mind of an engineer works like um they they may they might not maybe like um someone like you they might not have not um gotten so gotten too into say learning about and like building computers yet but I feel like it's not that too far of a stretch for someone for some for like for like an audio yeah, engineer it, to understand. It, I think it's one of those things too, where it's like you don't know what you don't know until you need to know it, like <laughs> until it's something that comes up and you're like, uh oh, like Ooh, yep. this is things are going things are going south, and I I don't know what's happening here, and I gotta troubleshoot <laughs> it and fix this. Like that, those are the types of things where I I start diving into the new areas because it's, I mean. There's plenty to there's plenty to spend all your time learning about and and practicing in audio. So for me, that was the the big thing. Like that, I wanted to learn how to uh, how to how to hear something in my head and know what to do to actually get there. So it was all technical on that side of things. 
And then the computer side of things was like, if it's working, great. <laughs> then I don't have to think about it. <laughs> and then it's, I, I mean, I can, I can pretty much fix any issue that comes up in Pro Tools, like in the, in the studio heart and stuff. Like we have stuff that comes up occasionally with Pro Tools. And like, I feel, I feel confident that I can get it to work almost no matter what happens. It's just the things, any, anything beyond that, that, um, that's still the, the unknown, the frontier. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you, do you think, um, have you used PCs in your life? Would you, would you think if you ever made the switch, like you would be comfortable there? Yeah, I, I would be comfortable enough so that, yeah, the studio I worked at, I worked at a studio called House Aloud in New Jersey, um, up until 20, 2016, 2016, 2017, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, they were all, that was all PC based. Um, the engineer there, Brian, um, built all the computers that they were, uh, working on and stuff. Um, and he, he, we, he started to kind of help me learn a little bit about it, but like, like super basic, um, I don't know, just opening up a computer and being able to point to things and tell you what they were like that, that kind of basic, um, and we, we never really got super, super far beyond that before I moved on and, and was doing other stuff and then came up to back up to Connecticut and stuff. So um, I, I feel like I I feel like I would fall back into the Windows side of things pretty quickly. Yeah. All this time, I haven't asked you about like your career as an, as an engineer, but uh, so <laughs> <laughs> just talk <laughs> gearheads. With Benson oh, yeah. and Kobe, um, uh, but like, uh, so you're an audio engineer, and I remember like before, um, in leading up to this conversation with you, I was looking up like on your website, like, oh, he has a website, and oh, he's an he's an actual working engineer, and mm-hmm. like seeing, oh, he's worked on stuff, and then I looked him up, like, oh my god, he has his name on the wiki pages for the records. It said <laughs> he edited it. <laughs> Yep. Like that's fucking cool. It says right there. It says Kobe <laughs> Nelson, engineer, and also he digital editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been lucky to work on some some cool stuff. Depending on what you're into, I guess. <laughs> I feel like that's the um that's like that's like the first uh, step to fame, having your name on a wiki page. <laughs> but then, like the next is having your own wiki page. Yeah, yeah, I'm still still shooting for that <laughs> one, but be a little while. <laughs> but um, like I saw a lot of um, like working with you. You worked on a lot of records for uh, produced by David Bendith. Yes. Yep. Who who um runs a some like a studio in Jersey, and he's he works with a lot of um like kind of alt rocky metal kind of bands. Yeah, heavy, just heavy sort of rock stuff. Um, so yeah, that was the studio actually uh, that I was just talking about, House of Loud. Um, that was it was in New Jersey. It is actually no longer a um, a studio. Um, the history of that studio is pretty crazy, and it makes me sad that it's not a studio anymore because it was originally um, a studio built by Whitney Houston, really, and later purchased by Queen Latifah, <laughs> and <laughs> then <laughs> purchased, uh, and then and then Dave Bendith moved in there. Uh, and started doing like metal stuff uh, and pop, like pop punk sort of records and stuff like that in there. Um, but yeah, so he was he was the producer, like the executive producer, the owner of the studio. 
And I worked under him for two and a half years or so uh, as an engineer. And that was that was most of my credits. There was uh, engineer and digital editing. And um, did you wait? Did you go to school for say for to be for uh, for music production? Or? I did. Yep, I'm a Hart grad actually. So oh, oh, you you went to Hart. Wow, yeah, I did. Uh, when did went from when to when? Uh, I graduated in 2014. Um, which was I had actually th- that kind of overlaps a little bit with House of Loud. I started working at House of Loud uh, as an intern in the summer of 20, uh, and then kind of worked off and on doing some digital editing uh, until I graduated. Um, but yeah, graduated in, in 2014 from Hart. And um, did you, uh, is there such a thing as like majoring in production, but not necessarily like playing an instrument? Um, at Hart, no. There is, there is uh, I mean, there are, there are quite a few programs where you can do that. Um, there is a, a program over at the engineering school at the University of Hartford where you don't have to play an instrument. But I was... Um, I was music production technology major with a focus on classical voice, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> and then I went and recorded a bunch of metal songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that uh, that's a that's a that's an odd combination. <laughs> a little bit. It, yeah. <laughs> were you, I mean, were you? Was it? Do you think it was always the the intention to go into production, but um, were you, but were or were you like always singing throughout your life? And you're like, I'm going to study voice, but then you found production. No, it was definitely definitely production first. So I, I played in a bunch of like crappy bands in high school and stuff like that, and recorded myself and, and all that type of stuff. So that that was always number one um i but singing was all, was a big part of it too i actually went to a high school that had 11 choirs like it was a huge what? What? yeah ledyard high school um they still have a ton of choirs i don't know if they have 11 still but um they it was like two-thirds of the school or something was in a choir like the whole football team <laughs> was like in choir it was <laughs> a huge thing there um so that was definitely a, a really really big part of my musical beginnings um but yeah it for me it was always it was always rock music and engineering like those were that was that was the main focus and did um did you play like guitar or bass drums whatever i played heavy air quotes guitar um i i (laughs) faked my way around guitar i was never very good i basically like I, I was the I was the rhythm guitar player in my band, which basically meant that like I played a couple power chords here and there, and because <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't play anything and sing at the same time, <laughs> so not not really, um, just enough to feel like I was contributing to <laughs> to the band. <laughs> Pretty much all I could do. Still, yeah. all I can do. <laughs> and um, how long have you been teaching the uh, the? The, like the sound technology course, which um, I, I'm currently taking with you. I started I started uh, doing that in 2017, um, which is so right after I moved back up to Connecticut from House Aloud, um, and about the same time that House Aloud closed. Um, and yeah, been been doing doing that couple classes every semester uh, for the last few years. So it's been been a lot of fun. I, I, I really, really enjoy that. It's, I, I kind of have two parts of my job at heart. I'm managing the studio, um, which was one of the big, uh, 
things that I, I was drawn to uh, in the position. But the the teaching part of it has really grown into something that I I really like to do. Um, I don't know. It's one of those things where I I like to. I'm an introvert, but I like to talk about studio stuff. <laughs> like I don't like to talk to people about a lot of things, but I like to talk about studio things. So the class is a really great thing for me, where um, I, I I get a a place to talk about that with people who are interested in it. Hopefully. <laughs> What percentage of people of um, students taking the sound tech class would you say like they see <clears throat> they seem knowledge a bit more knowledgeable about about recording than say the average than the average one? It's a it's a really big mix I would say in the class, which is one of the things that I find really interesting about it um, is that we have some people who have zero experience in the studio, um, and, and then we have some people who are like audio engineering majors um, from not from heart, but from uh, the other audio engineering program on campus. Uh, and then we have acoustics people. So it's, it's really, really diverse. And there's a lot of kind of, there's a big range of knowledge that students come in with, which is another thing that I find really cool in the class is that um, there's always somebody who can contribute to something in the class. So like we have a lot of jazz studies majors who can really relate to the musical side of things and the uh, talking about like lately in class, we, we started out talking about like the aesthetics of a recording, like that that's the type of stuff that they really get into. They can really relate to, they can relate to the, the pure producing side of things really well. And then maybe the, um, the physics stuff and like the physics of sound uh, and the electronic stuff is a little bit of a stretch that they haven't had a whole lot of experience with. But then you get the other side of it where it's um, people who are a mechanical engineering major or an acoustics major who really get the science behind all of the stuff. And then maybe they're, they enjoy music, but that's not like the foundation of what they're the angle that they're coming at it from. So having that kind of mix in the class, I find really interesting and rewarding where people can kind of contribute to each other's experience in it. Um, and so you're in the class that's mostly like lecture based and stuff like that. Another one that's really interesting is the spring semester class, which is no, it's, it's not really any theoretical stuff at all. It's, it's a hundred percent practical application of the stuff that's in this class. So we come in and we do a recording session, every single class for the entire semester, uh, and just get a bunch of I just throw out a bunch of situations and bring in musicians every time. So both of those things, I don't know, it, it kind of gets, it hits all of the things that I find interesting and rewarding about audio in like the classroom. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm thinking of, um, if I have room in my schedule to like continue and take sound tech too, because, um, well, I've been, I think as I, I, when I, when I introduced myself on the first day, like I've said, I've been getting into recording. I've been learning about recording for like the past year because I had to, because I wanted to launch this podcast. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, so I think I know quite, I want, uh, I don't want to, not the brick, but like, I know, I do know more than like the average person just walking into the class. Right. And, and the, and part of the reason why I wanted to take it was because like, I just, I mean, I know a thing or two, I'm probably going to do well. And also, you know, if it, 
um, I'm going to learn, I'm probably going to learn more stuff I didn't know about. And so I've already got a framework, an understanding about how it works. And I'm just going to be able to like uh, expand my knowledge about what's going on, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, I think one of the, the tricky things, but one of the fun things about the class is that it, it's sort of like a pick your own adventure <laughs> type of thing to a certain extent. Like there, there are going to be, I, I, I do my best. It's a, a tough thing, but I do my best to kind of hit every and be open to like questions from, from people who, who are a little bit more advanced and stuff like that. I've had, I've had in the, in the past, um, people who were like pretty knew quite a bit coming in had done like some full scale recordings of like their own bands or themselves as artists and stuff like that where a lot of like what i do is they they'll send me like mix mixes that they've done and stuff like that after class and i'll I'll critique them and it's sort of i don't know i i that's one thing that i really want to come out of the class is for everybody to actually just be able to to I want to meet everybody where they are and, and and try and get everybody something out of it. Cause it's such, it's so diverse that there's really, there's no way to do a one size fits all. So yeah, I mean, for, for you, like that's, that's, that's the hope that like, if there's anything that you want to talk about or anything like that, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, as far as podcasting goes, or as far as music stuff goes, like whatever I'm down. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, I think I'm, <clears throat> I think um, I I actually have a background in like science and stuff, and so like the the, um, the more heady kind of things, where do we get into like the physics and like what like you have to understand a decibel is not linear and whatever. It's like yeah. um, well, I mean, <clears throat> I feel I mean, when, for some people they might um, go over their heads, but I think um, you know it's it's giving them me that much more context about how actual sound works and like how it how it functions in, within the context within the context of a recording. Right, yeah. I think you're going to like the conversations about like microphones and how 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 microphones are designed and and built cuz that's that's kind of like the to me that's like a a really pure example of like a combination of the physics and the art <laughs> of stuff. Um because it, it 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 really has to do with all that those types of things like the physics of sound, how how sound moves through a space, how it interacts with objects and things like that. But then it's also got this musical component where a microphone has a certain tone and a certain characteristic uh, that it, it's it's going to impart on the sound. So I don't know. I think for you that that type of stuff will be fun. That's what we're getting to next. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Are there any like Neumann U87s in the studio? We, yeah, we have two. Uh, oh, two. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Stereo <laughs> pair. <laughs> I suppose it, it's, a, it's a university. They got money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have a, we have a pretty decent mic collection. Uh, we've got quite a few different Neumann mics. Um, it's, 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 it's definitely a, a worthy, a worthy collection for a lot of applications. And it's, it's fun because we kind of get to split between all styles of music. So we do everything from like classical recordings to jazz to rock stuff to, I don't know, like experimental electronic music. Like all of that stuff gets covered at some point. Um, so yeah, we we need to have the, the 
mics and the the gear to be able to support all of that. So we've got a we've got a pretty good mix of stuff, and it's it's been that's that's a fun thing for me too because I get to use all that stuff and experiment with things. <laughs> yeah, for the longest time, I only ever had like shitty mics. <clears throat> like um, I when I first started the podcast, I just got um, these um, Audio Technica ATR twenty one hundreds, which um, they have XLR and USB uh, connectivity. So I'm like, oh, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll get that. They, they, I've people say they're good and they're multifunctional, cool. But I mean, like, there's something left, something left to be desired about them. And then it wasn't until I got uh, the a couple of SM58s to start using for for the, for the podcast and also to um like just to have like on this mic stand so I can like video chat with people and not have uh, a terrible sounding mic, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things too. Like it's all about the application. I think at the end of the day, like the, the 58 is perfect for like what you're using it for and stuff like that. The, like for me, for me, one of my favorite microphones, which I'm always a little bit embarrassed to say, but like one of my favorite microphones for certain applications is the, pile i can't even remember what the it's, it's basically a knockoff sm57 it's like yeah. 12 dollars. i bought it as a joke one day because it came up as a recommended thing on amazon and <laughs> I, I got two of them and honestly i i've put i the first time i put it up it was purely a joke i put it on snare and it sounds awesome <laughs> like it's <laughs> really cool i use it on snare all the time now it's a 12 dollar microphone and we've got microphones i have my own microphone collection as well but and then we have the microphones at the school where i could be i could be putting a four thousand dollar microphone on whatever but like the 12 dollar microphone serves the purpose it's it's the perfect thing for that job so i don't know that's another one of those things where i say like i'm kind of a gear agnostic even though like I have this drive to acquire things, but <laughs> at the end of the day, like there are jobs that can be done best by a $12 Amazon special. <laughs> I think I, I might've gotten a pile once. <clears throat> Don't when, throw um, it away. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> no, but, well, I, well, the thing is, I think I, what well, I was trying, I was looking for like, to buy a 57 and I saw one on eBay. I'm like, Oh man, that's super cheap. I'm totally going to get that one. And then I got <laughs> it. I'm like, there's something off about this. And I take it apart and I see, Oh, there's no, this is totally a fake. There's no transformer. It doesn't have, and, and it doesn't have the right color wires and all that. I'm like, they even, they, they even put the label thing on it. It comes in yep. a, an SM, a 57 box, a legit 57 box. I was, and I was like, uh, it's it's very convincing. Like it looks, can you, I don't know if you could see on the, I know for the podcast, not going to work because you can't see what I'm showing, but like, yeah, it, it looks exactly like a 57. It's bizarre. <laughs> oh, I even saw, I think recently, um, Behringer put out like, and uh, they're like, there's a shameless shameless knockoff of a 57 they're like this is totally what to get where we're going for a very cheap 57 here's what it is <laughs> and i think i don't know i saw some guy like comparing the that the behringer microphone and the 57 and apparently it's not i mean it's not terrible but well, it's, it's 
it's definitely. I think it's kind of funny that like all these companies are knocking off the 57 now because the 57, like the joke in the industry is that the 57 is like the thing that you substitute when you don't have a hammer in the studio. <laughs> like you need to nail, hammer a nail into the wall. You grab the 57. Like that's kind of the running joke. So now that there are all these like companies that are, are making fake ones, it's just kind of, it's like even cheaper because at the time, like when, like 57s were kind of like the cheapest, almost the cheapest mic that you could get, but they're like still a hundred bucks. Like it's not, it's not a cheap mic at the end of the day when you're in the grand scheme of things, not like a $12 pile. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I guess, but it's still like, I guess in the grand, a hundred dollars to the average person is a lot for a microphone, but it's, but like, you know, in the grand scheme of, audio equipment where like it's the worst kind of pro- hobby to get into because everything is so expensive like if you want to get a neumann u87 they're like thirty five hundred dollars each yeah if you if you want to get a vintage u47 you're talking 20 grand <laughs> like yeah. you can go nuts with that stuff it can drive you absolutely crazy or like if you want to um like i'm making a record right now and i want to be able to do everything myself so I got um, these monitors uh, to put on my desk so I, for mixing and mastering. But, um, I mean, I think they're fine. They're these pre-Sonus Aris 4.5s. And, but the thing is, given my setup, I can't have them any higher. They're, they're Like, my ears are here, and then the speakers are about here. Uh, yeah. Because of the way my desk is set up, I can't put them higher. <laughs> and so, and, and the thing is, like I'm getting because I'm so inexperienced in say mixing and production whatever, I I'm, I put these on. They I think they sound good, but I have no reference for anything else. So I'm like, um, I guess they'll be fine. And but then I look at like um, videos about mastering, and I see this guy, this mastering engineer. He's got this a whole room dedicated for all this equipment. And most of that equipment is just tall ass speakers. I'm like, is it, is that gonna, does that make a difference? Does it? <laughs> it's one of those things too. Like, for, I would say at the end of the day, like, if you know the speakers really well, like, if you do a ton of referencing, just listen to all of your favorite records on the speakers and then you're gonna get to know them, you know? Like, you'll, you'll know what a, a mix is supposed to sound like on those particular speakers. And then at at that point, like it doesn't matter what they are really. As long, I mean, there's obviously some exceptions to that. If they are physically incapable of producing certain frequencies, like say they can't produce any frequencies below 60 Hertz, that might be problematic when you're, if you're having bass problems in your mix and stuff like that, where you would need to add a sub or something. But well, these go down to 70 Hertz, so... Yeah, I, I mean, but that's that's something where you just want to you want to know that and reference. So you're using headphones, or if if down the road you want to get a sub, you can get a sub. Like those are things that you just have to know. But like if you if you can learn a set of speakers really really well, you can honestly do pretty much anything on anything. I think, and a lot of like the most famous studio monitors from history are objectively garbage speakers like the most (laughs) the most common speaker to find in a studio is the yamaha ns10 if you look up any picture of any studio chances are you're going to see 
a black speaker perched up on the console with a white speaker cone. That's probably the Yamaha NS10. And they are, they're bookshelf speakers. They're not even originally pro speakers, but they are, they're one of those things that somebody discovered along the way that they could mix something on, on them and that it would translate well to every other listening environment. Like if the, if you can get a mix to sound good on these crappy speakers, it's probably going to sound good anywhere. So like those are what people actually like reach for on purpose because they know they're garbage (laughs) so for me it's it's it it doesn't matter as long as you know the speakers then you can you can do whatever you want on them my my speakers are uh they're small like for super super audiophile gearhead people they're they're probably too small um they i think they go down to like 50 or 52 hertz or something like that which is low enough for some things, but I definitely, I definitely have to be careful with that and reference other places. And at some point, I'm probably going to have to get a sub for my space just to to be able to check on that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like I'm I'm learning them, and I I, I know them well enough where I I can tell what something is going to sound like in another location because I I've heard enough mixes and done enough mixes on these speakers, so. I don't know. It's another another gear agnostic answer, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There are times when I, like when I'm mixing these tracks and then like I feel like I don't trust my own ears because I'm like, well, I have the monitors, but like are they, is the angle too shallow? Is the, do, do I have to readjust them? I know they're not, they're not high enough to be leveled my ears. Is that the problem? And then like I also have these um, AKG K240s I'm like, but then I mix on the headphones and then it sounds different. Maybe there is a problem. And then I'm like, I, then I just like throw everything to the ground. I'm like, I don't know how to mix. <laughs> I mean, I do the same thing all the time. <laughs> I really do. And then uh, for me, I'll, I'll get to a frustrated place. I'll turn everything off or I'll bounce down uh, a mix, turn everything off, give myself like 10 minutes and then I'll go out to my car and play the bounce in my car just to be like somewhere completely completely different but also a place where i listen to a lot of music so it's it's, i think it's really all about that referencing and no matter how no matter how much you do this type of stuff i think taking a break and uh letting your ears rest and getting a fresh perspective after a a set amount of time is always going to be a helpful thing i i I used to be better about this. I don't do this as much anymore, but I used to, for an app that was, it would time, um, it would be like a, a stepped timer basically. So it would time me for 30 minutes. I would work on a mix for 30 minutes and then it was a silent timer. It'd pop onto my screen and start a second timer that was for 10 minutes. So I'd go off and I'd get like a snack for 10 minutes or something and then come back and start again. So I was never like, getting too far out there where I like wasn't objective anymore and was making decisions based on, I don't know, being tired and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's hard. (laughs) It's a, it's a a weird thing. And your ears really do change over time. Like the longer you listen to something, the less objective you get, period. doesn't matter if you're listening on $20,000 speakers or $10 speakers, like that's, it's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, I, uh, I don't, I, like, uh, I feel like I feel myself like, um, like being delayed in the making of 
like the this record because I I the thing is my ears they always feel like they're hurting for some reason. Uh oh. <laughs> Even after a few minutes, which what I don't because I don't know like my ears are just uh, jammed up with wax half the time, and like I just got them cleaned. I'm like I don't know if you I guess it feels different. Okay, and then I'm trying to mix and like I'm trying to record stuff and mix, and then I'm like. I always feel like my ears are just in a state of throbbing, even though I know I'm not listening that loudly. And so it's it's like I, I honestly don't know if I can trust my own ears because I'm like, am I hearing? Am I actually there, there might be something wrong, even though I'm pretty like I try to take care of my ears and like I don't listen to a lot of loud things. And I, I try to get them cleaned every once in a while. I was like, I can't because because I can't have a reference for someone else someone else is hearing yeah. in my own consciousness. I'm like, do I even know what I'm yeah, hearing? So that's a weird, I, that's a weird thing. I think a lot of people feel that in, in different ways. Um, but I, I mean, when you, so when you feel like that, if you say you put on a reference mix of something else, somebody, something else maybe similar to what you're working on, like, are you able to objectively then say, okay, I, I, I can see why this sounds good. Or is, so is it, I guess my question is, do you think it's a, an actual physical hearing thing or do you think it's more of just a, an a experience and like decision making type issue? I don't know. It's like um, like I have like I have the headphones on for a while. I'm like, is this my, my like my ears are probably getting sweaty. I should take this off. And then, then it fe- then I take them off and it feels like. Was I? I wasn't listening that loudly. Why does it feel yeah. weird? It's like, well, the other thing too, like psychoacoustically, the like the longer you listen to something, the more your ears will just get accustomed to the level. And it's it's something that I've had to consciously work on fixing for myself because I used to, um, I, I would be listening to something for a while, and you just keep reaching for the the uh, the volume knob, turning it up a little bit, just a tiny bit. And then you work for a little longer and then you're like, ah, ah, I can't quite hear that one thing I'm looking for. Turn up the volume knob a little bit. And you just keep doing that over time until at the end, it doesn't feel like you're listening super, super loud, but you've increased the the volume quite a bit. So I yeah. don't know. I would be careful about that too. And just, well, I don't know. I think tons of these ears <laughs> teeth are weird. I do try because the, I know I'm not listening that loudly. I'm just, I know I'm not. Like I keep, um, I keep track of the, of like just where the knobs are. I'm like, that is not, I know exactly where that is. I know that is not loud, but then <laughs> I just, or it's just like having, maybe it is just having the headphones on and like having them cup. I have a big head. So <laughs> if they're probably trying to work to like squeeze in, it's like, it's just, it's, it's just probably not good for my head. <laughs> I bet it is. I bet it is just headphones. Cause that's also kind of a weird thing that like you've got, these speakers yeah an inch away from your ear i think it it's it's tough to judge level there too because in uh if you're go if you're like listening to something through speakers you can kind of feel the air in the room like even if it's not a, a conscious thing like it's the speakers are moving the air around you like you can feel that so you get another like dimension of uh, your perception that you can use to feel how loud something is and I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people listen much louder in headphones than they think they are just because you don't have that extra thing. You don't feel the air moving around you. 
it's just like right up against your ears. I'm not saying that you're listening too loud or anything like that. I'm sure you have a, a, a pretty good uh, sense of that, especially if it's something that you're conscious. Um, but I, I find that kind of an inch. I don't know. Maybe that's it. <laughs> there is a chance that's it. Even though like I have like the um, the headphone output, it's like in the first quarter of its arc over around around the knob. But it's still like I guess based on like my computer settings, it's still pretty loud, like considerably louder than what you think where the, the position of the knob is. But I don't know. Maybe that maybe I would that's try. Just as an experiment, uh, I would try just turning it down, mixing super, super quiet. You'd actually be surprised how many mix engineers out there mix really, really quiet. Um, like like David Bendith. I, w- I would go, uh, when I was working there, I would sit in on his mixes a lot of the times. And it it was surprising to me how quiet. It was like he, he would reference loud occasionally just to kind of feel it in the room. But m- 99% of his work was like where I would feel like I was lean, had to lean into the speakers to like hear what was going on. <laughs> like he was mixing. Yeah. I once, yeah, I once heard someone describe like how Andy, Andy Wallace, how he mixes. And they say like he, he monitors so low. That's actually uncomfortable being in the room with him. Cause it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> Like to the point where you could cough, and then it feels like you're disturbing. Yeah. Like the, that, the that's ambience. how I would feel too. Yeah. It's like it's you shift in your seat or something. You're like, oh man, I just like I just totally took him out of the moment. You know, like it's that type of <laughs> that type of thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I would I would try that. I would try just see how quiet you can mix. Uh, and a lot of the times, especially with like low end and stuff like that, like the way our our ears perceive loudness is not linear through this frequency spectrum either so like if you're if you're listening quieter you're going to hear less low end um so it's going to listening monitoring quieter too is going to change the actual mix decisions that you make as well and end up usually giving you a fuller sounding mix as well because you're gonna you're gonna put a little bit more low end in there than you might if you were listening at like 90 db 90 db is kind of like where our ears are the most flat. They're not flat still, but like they're the most flat across the frequency spectrum around 90 dB. So if you're listening much, much quieter than that, you're actually maybe doing yourself a favor by giving yourself a a beefier mix, um, listening super quiet. Yeah, I guess. So, uh, oh, we're, oh, this is going on long. All right. Uh, (laughs) gear, gear talk. Yeah. Get lost in the gear. Um, uh, I get. I think. I guess one more thing. I just. I want to talk to you about is. Um. You. You said you started a podcast like recently called Self Signed Artist with your with one of your friends. Yep. Yeah. A guy who used to be. Uh. He. He worked at House Aloud too. Actually. Um. I hired. I actually hired him as an intern there <laughs> when I was an engineer. Um. But yeah, super. He's an engineer himself named Jake Mannix. Um, so it's basically a podcast for, um, since we're both on the studio end of, end of things, uh, it's, it's geared towards musicians, independent musicians, um, and creating a brand, thinking about it from a more business perspective. Um, so we're not, it's not really about like engineering stuff or about songwriting or anything like that. It's, it's more about like positioning your, yourself in your artist career, um, 
based on things that we've seen artists do through our time in the studio and, and artists that we've worked with and frustrations that we've had. <laughs> so it's that that type of um, that type of thing geared towards uh, musicians and bands. And um, uh, have you? Is it the? I I checked it out briefly, but um, is it mostly just you guys like talking about a given topic, or do you have guests on sometimes? Uh, we have occasional guests. I'd like to start doing more of that. We kind of started it off um, just the two of us uh, during quarantine times, uh, kind of as as something to do. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> we've started bringing on some guests. It's I think uh, going forward, it's kind of going to be a mixed format thing where there'll be a couple episodes that are just us and a couple episodes that are uh, interview based and, and stuff like that. So um, we're just right now we're on the lookout for people who are doing interesting, interesting things in the in independent artist kind of world, especially locally. Jake is from uh, the Albany, New York area. Um, so we're kind of looking in the Northeast for artists and bands who are doing create making creative business decisions and stuff like that so we're hoping that we can bring um more people on to talk about that but yeah that's kind of where we're where we are right now well i'll tell you this i don't know anything about business <laughs> but i know how to poorly mix my record <laughs> <And> <laughs> perfect you want to be on our podcast <laughs> <laughs> Or not, or not anything in like, um, I don't know. Like, I know I don't know anything. I actually don't know anything about business, but I do like, um, um, I try to promote my podcast wherever I can, and I'm not making money off it. Uh, in fact, I'm losing money. But uh, you know, the um, same with us. <laughs> but you know, I think it is like if you're really trying to, um break into the business marketing is kind of it's you know it's an important thing to to know about and like being able to um i don't know say uh get yourself into like gets be able to play live shows at venues uh like to, to coordinate that make sure there's like maximum exposure for whatever uh like if you have a thing coming out or just to like make sure people know about you and stuff and you know as you've as you've heard me say uh, uh some of us need help <laughs> i think so the the whole start of the podcast came from just lots of conversations with with musicians where we, we were talking about um the idea i feel like there's this kind of artist that like you you create something you create some music and that's all that matters is that having a great song is 100% of what you need. If you have a great song, you can just put it up on Spotify or whatever and like instant stardom. And that that was kind of the first thing that we wanted to kind of uh, crush that misconception because there's that's like the first step. You have to have a great song, yes, but like if nobody hears your great song, then it really doesn't matter anyways, and you're not going to have a career. So that's kind of where we're, the angle that we were coming from when we decided to start the podcast, just changing people's mindset about it and um, and kind of filling in that second half of the process uh, after you have the actual product um, to, to put out there. Like what 
what are the first steps you do? How do you assess where you are? Um, how do you how do you create an image for yourself and, and things like that? Things that to some people come super super naturally. To me, it was something that didn't come super naturally, and that I have to I had to put a lot of thought into. So I figured other people out there probably would too. Well, um, I, I don't know. There's I know. Yeah, based on like if you look at my website, I, the image I built myself is really like facetious. Yeah, <laughs> kind, of, kind of because I know this isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> but like, it's just, hey, I talk to people, and it, sometimes, and, <laughs> and and of course, the title of the podcast is the podcast right. <laughs> with Benson Ty. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean we're kind of from from the same angle like we don't want to take we're not taking it too too seriously it's more more for fun just to i don't know it it originally started as something to do during quarantine <laughs> so yeah same kind of idea yeah but uh, okay um i think i think we're we've gone uh, do you, you don't have you don't have anything to do anything pressing to do do you no i'm good <laughs> okay i'm um i don't know. Guys, marathon, marathon podcast <laughs> is a live live stream the podcast. Let's go because it will never end. It's, no, <laughs> uh, no, but I think uh, we've gone on for a while. But uh, uh, and uh, I, 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 I do want to. I would love to keep talking to you for like ever. But uh, I think we both have things to do. And <laughs> you know, but uh, if help, if, in fact, would you be interested in returning like later? For sure. Yeah. Any. All right. Cool. All right. I'll have you on like eight times. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, but um, it's uh, it's re- it's really cool to talk to you and like see you without a mask on. Yeah, and, it's the first like in class. first view without a mask. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you very very much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, I don't know. You can plug stuff. I guess I got nothing <laughs> to plug. I already talked about it. <laughs> it's not I don't know. I mix things. <laughs> that chain put make that the tagline on your web well colby nelson.com the tagline for your website we, i mix things you know it's, it's from time to time it's, it's all i got <laughs> i mix things sometimes <laughs> no but okay so uh Kobe Nelson, audio engineer, kobenelson.com. Uh, also a podcast with, uh, who's your, who's, what's the name of your friend? Jake Mannix. Jake Mannix and Kobe Nelson host the uh, self-signed artist podcast. And uh, I, I want to, I want the next time we talk to come soon because I feel I, I, there was like 10 minutes of, there was, there was barely like 10 minutes of interviewee talk here. But <laughs> There's just there's more there's more I want to find out about you, but uh, uh again thanks for coming on the show and um I, I guess I'll see you in class later this week. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you for having me, and we'll do this again soon. Woo! All right, bye. See ya. Mm-hmm.